Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 125 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a fun episode in store today, and with me, as usual, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. It's been busy with work and trying to keep up with all the baseball stuff and all fantasy leagues, which sometimes can be a task when life and... Work gets in the way, but it's all good, man. We're here, and we're here to talk about some baseball, so it's going to be a good time and a lot of good stuff to talk about in this episode. And yeah, some some streakers, some strugglers. There's a a lot to chat about, so I'm looking forward to the episode. Yeah, it feels like every year. I think both of us can. I think you can, you know, echo this as well. We're like, oh, we got cut back a couple leagues just to, you know, it's too much. Then you end up like a a couple more. It's like it always goes the wrong. Right. Obviously, I love it and all, but yeah, so it was like, all right, I'll, I'll trim down two leagues, you know, next year. And then I'm like, how do I have two I, more than I had last year? And I know. It's funny how that works, huh? It sure is. I always say that, but in this time of year where I'm saying it, like, oh gosh, I can't manage 24 leagues. But uh, right. Luckily, some of those are best ball, but you know, still, it gets to be a lot. And then, you know, running the fab and saying lives. And, you know, this year it's really like, I used to love daily lineup leagues, but this year's just felt like such a burden to me more than than fun. So that's kind of been tough too. <laughs> Much more of a fan of weekly lineups right now, especially I guess having a, a kid in the mix this year right. has really changed that, <laughs> you know, an active kid too. So it's doing more with him. So at yeah, 13 right. months old, but you know, it's life's good, man. We can't complain about anything. We're here. We're talking Absolutely. baseball and, and you're listening. We're appreciative of that. So uh, really thankful absolutely we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today but before we do the usual housekeeping you can find us on twitter chris is at roto clig i'm eric cross 04 and our show is at fantrax toolshed if you enjoy this podcast please rate and review check out our patreon for extra content from both of us and our youtube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season and some fun other videos we'll have on there as well i just put up a video of ezekiel tovar today just talking about him and his skill set and whatnot. So we'll, we'll get some more fun videos up throughout the season as well. And of course, check out all the other great work we have going on over at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. All right, let's get right into this episode here. Start with some, we don't want to pitchers to talk about here in the beginning of the show, starting with Mr. Luis Severino, who I traded away in my home keeper league earlier in the year. I think I got back like Tyrell McGill and something else. So I, I still kind of like the trade, but 
he wasn't gonna be a keeper for me, but we're kind of regretting trading him now with how he's looked. Like he looked good at the time, but he's I think he's fully back now. Like he looks like the Severino from you know 2017, 2018 when he was really breaking out back then. In 10 starts this year, 295 ERA. Whip is at one on the dot. That's in 55 innings, so it's averaging five and a half innings per start. 6.3% walk rates, which is pretty much in line with his career numbers. And then a 27.6% strikeout rate. You know, hitting his velocity isn't quite as high as it was from his, we'll say his heyday back then, because he was averaging about 97.5 back then. He's at 96.3 this year. It is up from last year. It was a very small sample size last year, but 96.3 in the fastball. Changeup slider. That slider's always been his bread and butter. That's back. 150 betting average against 300 slug, 45.8% whiff rates. So, Chris, with Severino, are you buying back into him being at that level that he was back in you know those two really good years he had, 2070, 2018? And if so, do you think he's back to being a top you know, 20 starter for dynasty purposes. I think he's definitely in that conversation. I think he is too. He's been uh, really impressive and that's what I was hoping to see. This is what we all hoped coming back you know, full season after TJ. I know he got a little work last year, but and this is what we were hoping we'd see. And it's certainly been there. You obviously want to see the strike up strikeouts tick up a little bit, but I think that could be coming with time. Maybe as he continues to get back, you know, more consistent i guess per se and more comfortable we could see those really uh tick up some and we've kind of seen it actually the rolling strikeout rate is, is looking pretty positive i just pulled up that graph i mean everything under the hood looks good too and important to remember it seems like he's been around forever because he debuted so young he's just 28 years old i mean yeah. he debuted back in 2015 but just 28 he's in his prime i don't see why he can't be like a high-end sp2 of seasons yeah i think that's top 20 and especially for dynasty like i wonder if you can still buy him at a reasonable price right now like he, he doesn't seem to get talked about a ton but you know even yeah you know, i mentioned the strikeout rate it's still good it's not like it's it's bad by any means but I, i'd love to see it tick back up closer to that 30 percent rate it's at 27.6 right now so we could be trending there but yeah it, it he honestly looks like he did like back in his ace level days Back in you know 2017, 2018, and 2019 when he looked dominant before, obviously the injuries really plagued him. And he was so good at you know throwing deep into seasons. I mean, he, both 2017 and 2018, 193 and 191 innings. Don't expect that this year, but that's why I think he's a pretty good buy right now in Dynasty because if he stays healthy, he can get back to that level next year and be just a, that workhorse starter. I mean, both those seasons, he struck out 230 and 220 with a 298 and a 339 ERA, respectively. He's going to get a lot of wins on that team, and the Yankees yeah. are rolling. Hard to say, like, he could like easily bump back to, like, a top 15 dynasty arm even, which is crazy, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Yeah, I was just actually just about to say that because I just put up my dynasty rankings. I actually have him ranked as the 19th starter right now, and there's, you know, the next – half dozen or so are names that he, he's either a a few years younger than b you know these guys also have you know not the greatest track record of durability or they're getting a little older or they've been inconsistent so it's, it's guys like max freed i think severino has more upside than max freed freed safer but i give the upside to severino 
Rodone, we've seen how inconsistent he can be. Great when he's on, but he's had some issues with durability and consistency. Giolito, Gaussman's a little older, DeGrom, Wheeler. So I could easily see him bumping up another four, five, six spots, getting up into that, you know, Cease, Urias, Nola, Bieber range where it's like maybe even a back-end SP1. I think he's at the upside to do that because he was a couple years ago that level of pitcher. So you definitely can see him bouncing back. Like that slider is absolutely filthy. He gets an elite vertical and horizontal movement on that slider. He's he's always tormented the Red Sox. Every time we, I see him on the you know as our the, the uh, opposite uh, opponent pitcher, I should say, it's like all right, we're getting, we're in for a tough day with Severino. He's always tough on us with that stuff he has the mid to upper nineties heat. That slider got solid changeup as well. There was a little cutter in there. Like that cutter actually, he's only throwing it ten percent of the time, but that, that has a fifty three point three percent whiff rate this year. Changeup thirty two point seven percent whiff rate. So. All of his pitches are working right now. So, yeah, I think he's just got to stay healthy and show that all of his injuries are behind him. And I think once he does that, I think top 15 is coming right up very, very soon, maybe within the next month or so. We'll see. On the flip side, though, a top-notch arm here that's really struggling this year. Well, the surface stats aren't terrible, but compared to what we expected out of this guy, they're pretty bad. Mr. Walker Bueller, 11 starts, 384 ERA, 131 whips. So again, those aren't terrible, but you drafted him as an ace. He was one of the top five arms off the board, right up there, right, right behind Burns and, and Garrett Cole. Some, sometimes even the third starter off the board. So 384, 131, not what you expect. And then that's not even the worst part. The K rate, after being in the 26 to 29% range every year of his career, is down to 20.2%. The fastball is a major part of Bueller's struggles this year. Chris, how – see, honestly, I have 1 to 10. Where's your worry – the worryometer or worry meter or whatever on Bueller for you? Like, how worried are you with him? You know, probably not as worried as I should be, but I just want to believe that he'll bounce back. But, you know, some of the warning signs have been there. You look at his, like, Phipps and Sierra's – in recent years, and they've just been so much higher than his ERA. And, you know, I always just put it past him as a pitcher that would outperform those. But you look, and, you know, 2020, I know it was a smaller sample, but 344 ERA, he had a 38 Sierra and a 436 FIP. And last year, he obviously pitched to a 247 ERA. We knew that wouldn't be sustainable, but the Sierra was 373. FIP was much better at 316, but still it suggests regression. And I just kind of blew it off. But maybe we shouldn't have. And we're seeing, I mean, still 384 ERA is is fine, but it's not what you paid for for an ace. A one three one whip is terrible, actually, especially considering you look, he's a career 104 whip. Mm. He's leaving his fastball just over the middle of the zone. The four seams getting hit really hard as 377 batting average against five home runs allowed. That's obviously far from ideal. He's using it less this season. But he's still just getting beat around. Maybe he should just scrap it all together. I mean, he's got 12.6% whiff rate. is just brutal. So I'd probably throw a five on him for the worry, but maybe that should be a little higher. Yeah, that fastball. And a lot's been said on you know Twitter over the last several days. You know, our, our buddy John Legaza, Big Johnny Stud, did a, a video on it earlier in the offseason that might have been for PitchCon. I honestly forget, but I know he did a video on it. Great breakdown. John John Legaza is a very 
good analyst, very knowledgeable dude, and just a fun guy to watch on video or on podcast anyway. But he was talking about it. And then you're looking at the metrics, 377 batting average again, 638 slug, 476 Woba. You mentioned that 12.6% whiff rate. He's throwing it less, so I think he's conscious of that. He's throwing it about 11.5% less often this season. Last season, 44.5% and a 33.1% throwing more cutters. The cutter's been okay. The rest of the arsenal has really been fine. Like the sinker is, is getting absolutely crushed, but he only throws that 5% of the time. But, you know, curveball, slider, changeable. All the secondaries are still pretty solid, kind of in line with, you know, last year's performance. But it's that fastball, which has just been absolutely crushed. He has seven strikeouts on the four-seamer, and he's given up five home runs off of it. That's not a good ratio to have. It almost as many home runs allowed on a pitch as strikeouts on it. So, yeah, it's definitely – not encouraging. I mean, he's still gonna be, you know, fine. He'll he'll be a good starter. Just maybe he's not top five anymore. If he's not gonna get the, you know, the low ratios to go with above average K rate, you know, if he's more of an average K rate and average ratio guy, he's definitely not. Maybe he's not top ten anymore. I think we'll, we'll we'll have to see on that. But I think I'm more like a six or seven on him. I think just compared to what we expected out of him, but. Keeping the top starting pitcher discussion going here, one guy that I think everybody was worried about about a month and a half ago or so, you know, April, basically back in April, Zach Wheeler, he's bounced back in a big way and nobody's really talking about it. Uh, after a slow start to the season where he was, you know, through April, he had 12 earned runs allowed in 18 and two thirds innings. Now through 10 starts, so six starts later, he's down to a 314 ERA and a 117 whip. K rates at 28.3%, walk rate 6.3, so pretty much in line with last year. He just, you know, all the ERA indicators are pretty damn good in the in the high twos, low threes. A lot of the metrics, just looking at de- digging through the profile, are pretty similar to last year. You know, the velo is still down about a mile and a half, but it's ticked up as the season's progressed here. So Wheeler's back. I think he's back to being a top 10 arm, redraft, dynasty, wherever you whatever format you're in. He's still only 32 years old. A lot of red in this profile. Doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. You know, limits the barrel as well. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. He's one of those guys that you can count on for the the volume too. He's one of the, you know, few guys that can go 200 innings nowadays, which is like a, a dying breed. It's a rare unicorn these days. So I think he's back to being a top 10 dynasty arm in for, for rest of the season as well. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean he's back. I don't. I'm not concerned about the velo. He's still cons- he's consistently sitting in 96, which is fine. Yeah, I mean it's not 97.2 like it was last year, but again he's he's still making it work, and you know it's still been a solid pitch overall. Overall, the arsenal is working well, and I think those early season struggles are are definitely behind him at this point. I think that could have been attributed to a couple things. You know, remember he kind of went down for a little bit in the spring, so he's a bit behind as most pitchers were, but then he was even more behind. So it kind of hurt him a little bit. And he did have one really bad game against the Marlins where he was, you know, three innings, seven earned. So, and then his following start was five innings, four earned. So his numbers got a little inflated there. So I'm, I'm not a bit worried about him. I think he's back to being ace level Wheeler. And, you know, the good news is that, you know, we're still seeing the K rate up, which, you know, he was kind of like you know, Bueller where, in the past, he had been a, a lower K-rate guy, but now it's sticking. I mean, last year, people wondered, could he sustain a 29% K-rate? And yeah, he's at 28.3% right now. So um, I think he's fine. I think he's a top-10 dynasty arm, as you mentioned. 
And I'm not I'm not worried about it. I think you can run him out there every start and be confident that he's going to be a stud. Now, Dynasty Startup Draft right now, Bueller and Wheeler are on the clock. Who are you taking? Oh, man, that's tough. Obviously, the age factor matters there because you know Wheeler is 32, but and five-year age gap. Yeah, that's really tough, actually. I think I, they, they're close, at least. Come on, Chris. I need an answer out of you, Chris. I know, Come on. I know. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. I'd probably still go Bueller, but just the age factor in my yeah. head. But I, I do I think, think I, Wheeler's more trustworthy. Yeah, I, I think I would too. But yeah, it's definitely more of a conversation now than it was you know, two months ago or so. That's for sure. Going back out to the Dodgers, because I just realized I went out of order here on the first three arms. I meant to go these two guys after Bueller to stick with the Dodger theme here. But two you know, arms that are really surging of late. One that we've kind of been waiting for to break out for the last couple of years. And another guy that's kind of come out of nowhere. The first one being Tony Gonzalez. Second one being Tyler Anderson. And quick plug here, our buddy Corbin Young, a fellow writer here at Fantrax, goes to write for a few other sites, did a great article earlier this week on Tyler Anderson and Pablo Lopez, I believe, was the other arm he talked about in that article, focusing on their change-ups and their you know, buy or sell. So go check that out. Great article by Corbin Young. But we'll start with Tyler Anderson because he's the one that really came out of nowhere. I, I would love to see where his ADP was preseason on like NFBC or Fantrax. I'm sure it was way past 500. Nobody was expecting this. But he's now 58 and two-thirds innings into the season, 3.07 ERA, 1.02 whip. 24.2% K rate. So he's right around league average there. Actually, a tick above league average by about 2% or, or so. But the walk rate's down to 2.7%. So really a guy that locates his stuff. But how much of a believer are you in Anderson, Chris? He's 32 years old, never really has had any success. He's a career 448 ERA guy over nearly 700 innings, 129 whip for his career. Are you a buyer that this there are some tangible changes here and that he's going to be kind of like a late bloomer and a guy that can stick with some value? Or do you think this is a good time to sell high in Dynasty? I want to say sell high just because knowing the profile. And for reference, his ADP on NFBC for all drafts was 600.9. So Yeah, that sounds know, about right. <laughs> undrafted pretty much everywhere except some you know draft and hold type situations. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't see this every day but again it's the dodgers so yeah maybe maybe that's something you do see with the dodgers but he's been really good i mean the numbers don't lie you look at what he's done and you can't really argue against that and he's done it against solid teams too it's not like he's just faced a cupcake schedule i mean he's been good in most all of his starts he did he is pitching today it looks like actually or did he do they already play? Okay, yeah, they already played. And as we're recording this on Thursday, he wasn't great. He did throw three innings with four earned, three walks, and two Ks. But, you know, that still brought his ERA up to 307. So that just shows how good he's been pitching when, when that brings your ERA up to what it is right now, to 307. Obviously, been solid. I mean, even against the Mets, his last start went – Six innings, no earned runs, and the Mets have been one of the hottest teams in baseball. So I don't really know what to make of him, honestly. Part of me is like sell if somebody thinks he's real. But, I mean, at the same time, like 
he could be legit just because the Dodgers are phenomenal with pitcher development. And he's really kind of reinvented his arsenal a bit. And he's, you know, throwing his change up, you know, as much as or more than the four seam, which I think is encouraging, especially when you look at how he's really reinvented. It's like been his best pitch and he's throwing it the most often. That's kind of what I'm a proponent of seeing in pitchers is, you know, if you have a good pitch, throw it more than the other pitch. So I think it's possible he sticks, not to this level, but could he be a high three ERA type guy rest of the season? I certainly think so. Yeah, and, and he's changed the the look of his changeup too. Like, look, it's it's the volume. Uh, me, the velocity is down about a mile and a half from last year, and he's he's getting more vertical uh, movement on the changeup as well. Another five inches of vertical movement, horizontal movement is actually you get more horizontal movement as well. Another four and a half inches of horizontal movement compared to last year. So, a little less velocity, a little more movement. It, Interesting to see if he did like a pitch grip change or something. I'd have to look into that more. But yeah, definitely. And like the results are absolutely there. 108 batting average against, 123 slug, only given up one extra base hit, which was a double, a 109 Woba, and a 46.9% whiff rate. So yeah, great stuff. I think I would lean selling high because I don't know. It's just, I'm not fully sure how much I believe in this level. I mean, can he be like a solid, like mid to upper three ERA guy with a low twenties K rate, which is, you know, serviceable as a back end guy. Sure. But I think he's pitching a little bit over his head right now. Like look at some of the ERA indicators that are a bit higher. So I'm just expecting some regression here rest of the way. So I would sell high, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, a massive drop off. I think he has made some tangible changes that we need to be aware of here. And I think he's going to be at least a solid arm moving forward, but it's not this level for sure. But moving over to Tony Gonsolin now, who's quietly put himself into the National League Cy Young race here over the last month or so. Through 11 starts, he's actually 7-0 in the year. I know that doesn't matter at all, but it's kind of cool to see. 7-0, 158 ERA, 0.86 whip, 8.3% walk rate, which is down a lot from last year, and a 24.8% K rate, which doesn't really stand out, but that K rate has been slowly ticking up here as the season progresses. His K rate over the last month is over 30%, and I think there's even more in the tank with that K rate because you look, he's getting you know solid amount of whiffs on the slider, 39.1%, curveball started at 32.1%, but the splitter, which has been a pretty good whiff rate offering for him over the last handful of years, only at 27.6%. For reference, in 2021, it was 41.4. In 2020, it was 41.7. And in 2019, 38.3. So I think he could definitely continue to get that K rate ticking up here. The walk rates come back down, which is very encouraging. So I think, you know, I've been a big Tony Gonsolin guy for a while now. Like, I like all those ingredients were there. You were just waiting for it to him to kind of put it all together at, in, at one time. And I think he's doing that now. So... I am definitely buying Gonsolin right now. Buy high if you have to. You know, if somebody's wanting to sell highs, they don't believe in this performance, I would happily take Gonsolin off their hands. I think this is legit. I think he's going to be a top 30 to 40 arm at least moving forward. And same thing for Dynasty as well. So, yeah, I am definitely buying. How about you, Chris? Yeah, and, you know, I've always liked the profiles you mentioned. He's just needed the chance and the health, really, to both go his way to, to be a regular guy. And, you know, thought that was last year, and last year just had some things that didn't go his way. And now we're finally seeing the results. He's just 28, so it's not like he's you know, past his prime by any means. And he's getting the shot, and he is just dominating. Everything you want to see in the profile looks legit. And I don't see any reason to fade him or sell him. We're talking about a pitcher in the middle of his prime in the Dodgers org. 
that's shown these flashes before who now is replicating it time and time again. This is what you really want to see. And you mentioned he's doing all this without even his splitter being an elite pitch like it's been in the past. Yeah, I mean, he still struck out 30 guys on it. It's a 120 batting average against, but the whiff rate, as you mentioned, 20% difference from last season, a similar number of innings. Like, that's pretty significant. His slider whiff rate's also down. So he's producing while not getting as many swing and misses, but he's still striking guys out. He's still getting plenty of whiffs at that. So, you know, could the strikeouts even tick up more? I don't see why not. And you have to mention that he's on the Dodgers and he has a great defense behind him. Like, I really like this profile. You know, and you could probably say, well, why wouldn't you say that about Tyler Anderson? But it's different, in my opinion, with Gonsolin because he has shown the ability to do this in the past. So, yeah, I'm, I'm buying Gonsolin. I would try to get him in Dynasty because I think that he could legit stick as a top 30 arm long term. Yep. 100% agree. Now, r- real quick, you know, comparing him to a couple other young, a little bit younger than him, but a couple younger breakout arms this year that are finally kind of getting their footing in their rotation and showing what they can do between these three arms, Chris, how would you rank them long-term for dynasty? Tony Gonsolin, Aaron Ashby, Christian Javier. How do you have those three ranked? At this point, I'd want Gonsolin above all of them. I mean, I love Ashby. I do worry a little bit about his walks. Like that's definitely a concern, even though, I mean, he's getting the job done right now, but you have to factor that in. Javier is like, who knows what the Astros will do with him, whether he'll bump in and out of the bullpen or not. Certainly think he sticks as a starter long-term. I think Ashby and Javier are close, but I'd rather have Gonsolin above both of them at this point. Yeah, I do too. I would I'd go Gon, and I love all three. Let me just say that before I rank them. I'd go Gonsolin, then Javier, then Ashby. I think they're all pretty close for me. But yeah, I, I do like Gonsolin a little bit more. If, if I knew Javier was going to be a starter long-term, he might be. I really like Javier as well. And I like Ashby too. But yeah, like you mentioned the the walk rate. Like it's still eleven point two percent this year with Ashby, even though the K rate's still really good. But and the barrel rate is really good as well with Ashby. But just that walk rate's always kind of a little bit concerning. And Javier walk rates actually dropped down about four uh, percent from last year, twelve point five to eight point seven, which is very encouraging as well. So all three, I, I would love to have all three on, on Dynasty, and Javier might be my underdog selection in the Highlander Dynasty you know, invitation that we're both in here. He's my leading candidate, so I like Javier a lot. But yeah, I would go Gonsolin slightly over the other two as well. All right, moving on to some hitters here. Uh, let's start over in Chicago. Guy that I honestly, I'll even admit this, Chris, in uh, 30 Rock, a uh, 30 team Dynasty League that Chris and I are both in. Last year, around this time, I almost dropped Christopher Morrell. So I, I didn't think there was really much long-term appeal uh, in his profile, but he I'm so glad I held on to him just because I right, mean there's a little power speed there. I'll hold on to him for a little bit longer, see how he does next year. Thankfully, I did because Morrell has kind of taken the league by storm here. There was first 97 plate appearances, and this is straight up from double-A. Well, let me remind you, didn't even have any time at triple-A. In those 97 plate appearances, 298, 381, 524, slash, 226 ISO, three home runs, and six steals here. 14.1% barrel rate, 46.9% hard hit rate, pretty good walk rate and strikeout rates, 11.3 and 21.6 respectively. And he's got a 93rd percentile sprint speed. So showcasing that power speed blend, looking good at the plate. How much... Are you believing this? Like, how 
for real is Christopher Morel, Chris. I think it's quite interesting that you know he's cut his strikeout rate. You know, last year in Double A, strikeout rate was near thirty percent, and then it dropped in Double A this year to twenty four point six, and now down to twenty one point six in nearly a hundred plate appearances so far. I mean, he's running a high Babbitt. I don't know if that sustains. He could. He's ran higher Babbitts before. Sprint speed certainly is conducive to that. Good line drive rate also helps high Babbitt. But, I mean, even if he settles in as a 270 hitter with good power speed, it's really hard to argue against those results and don't see why he couldn't stick. So kind of feel crazy to say buying, like, because I don't think I would have said that after his hot start, but he's just sustained and keeps going. So kind of buying in at this point, and you just have to believe. I mean, he's gotten better. I mean, even over the last couple games, he's just been tearing it up. So I'm going with a buy at this point and believing what he's doing. Yeah, I am too. And I've, there's been a few different people in our, in our 30 team dynasty league. They've been trying to get Morel from me. We have a handful of Cubs fans in this league. So I've been holding strong. Uh, I'm not opposed to trading him, but yeah, I, I think this is mostly legit. Like he's shown a nice little power speed blend in the minor leagues and made a lot of tangible improvements this year. Like you mentioned, cutting the K rate down from where it was last year, you know, getting the walk rate up above 10%, which is very encouraging. You know, look at some of the other metrics here the zone contact rate is a bit low which i'll admit is a little uh, discouraging uh, chase but the chase rate is well above league average or well better than league average i should say 22 percent whiff rate is a little high so i think they'll, he'll come back to earth a bit here but yeah two like you said 270 you know 12 to 15 home runs maybe around 20 steals i think that's definitely legit multiple percent eligibility right now too definitely helps especially with dealing with all these injuries that uh, like he, I p- plugged him in third base shortstop outfield. It's been great. So yeah, I think I'm mostly buying this as well. All right. Last couple of hitters here before we hit the break, let's go up North of the border here to my favorite little bowling ball, Alejandro Kirk, who is absolutely tearing it up right now. He's one of the best hitters in baseball over the last handful of weeks. Season slash line is up to 322, 401, 477, Five home runs in 172 plate appearances. One of the few hitters in baseball with more walks than strikeouts. 12.2% walk rate, 9.3% K rate. XBA is one of the highest in the league at 323. X slug. And these are starting to stabilize now. So I feel a little bit better using them than I did like a month ago. About a 533 X slug, which is a lot higher um, than his 477 slug. So. He's a guy that I was like hit like 290, 300 and 15, 18 home runs, maybe gets up near 20 at peak, but I think he's here to stay. And my question for you, Chris, do you think Kirk is a top five dynasty catcher right now? And if not, you think he's has a potential to get there for you and your rankings in the near future? I mean, we've kind of always talked about that with him having that upside and potential and everybody was freaking out because he started so slow, but now he's really getting to it, man. He's just performing. I mean, in May, he hit 347, 415 OBP, and a 560 on slug. Nearly 1,000 OPS in May. And that was over 82 plate appearances, nearly everyday playing time. And in June so far, a 1208 OPS. Power is there. I mean, it's been coming around. Catchers have been horrific this year. He's kind of stood what? out above the rest. Surprise. So <laughs> yeah. surprising. You know, the thing with Kirk, too, is just he doesn't strike out. 
He puts so many balls in play, but he still walks, too. I think he's definitely there. I think he's a top-five guy. He's 23 years old, too. Like, Can we talk about that? Like, He's 23, one of the youngest ones there, and flat-out hitting. Like, He's showing exactly what we thought he could do, and he's, he's performing. So, yeah, I'm buying in. Yeah, especially a guy that can hit for this high of an average, a guy that's shown that he can hit for high average. Or like his career average in the major leagues, it's only over 386 plate appearances, but 287. That is 100% legit. It's what he showed in the minor leagues. Easy plus hit tool. The approach has always been very good. And he's had a hard hit rate of 43% or higher in each of his three seasons. Again, small sample size, but hitting the ball hard. Like I said, I think 280 plus with 15 plus home runs is definitely in the cards. And he's going to be a guy that's going to have a, a good amount of RBI in that Toronto lineup. So probably a solid amount of runs scored as well, just from getting on base as much as he does. Yeah, I think he's going to be a pretty good four-category catcher for a long time. And right now, I don't have him top five quite yet. Just pulled up my rankings here. I have him seventh for catchers behind, and this is going up from six to one. Wilson Contreras, JT Real Muto, Salvador Perez, Dalton Varshaw, Will Smith, and Adley Rushman. But he, so he's a, I can see him surpassing Contreras, even though Contreras have a pretty good year as well. But the three right in front of him are all on the other side of 30 years old. So... I can see him within the next year or two getting up to as high as fourth, getting right up near Dalton Varsho. The only reason why Varsho is probably ahead is because he has that stolen base element to his game. But yeah, I am definitely buying Kirk wherever I can get him. So I think he's going to be very good for a very long time. And sticking with the Toronto catcher theme, Gabriel Moreno is getting the call up here, Chris. Long term, who do you like more between like five? Let's, let's bring up the old crystal ball five years in the future. Who's being drafted higher for fantasy purposes, Moreno or Alejandro Kirk? I still think that Kirk is. I agree. I, mean, I, I like Moreno. I wonder if we – I went a little high on him, I think. I like the profile, I like his ability to hit, but I just wonder what kind of power he gets to, especially because he hits the ball on the ground a lot. So I guess that's my biggest concern. I mean, he's very athletic, which is a plus. I'm just – Wondering about the power output, that's really the biggest question mark, I guess, for me in the profile. And yeah, he showed it last year, but we haven't seen it at all this year. Will it? Will this eat into Kirk's playing time? No, it won't. Kirk will still DH. I mean, Danny Jansen's out for a good little while. He's at the IL, so, you know, I do like Moreno, but I still think that Kirk just has the better fantasy skill set. While maybe Moreno is better for real-life purposes, for his athleticism, I'll just take Kirk from the pure hitter standpoint with the power too. Yeah, I, I think they could be pretty similar in terms of batting average. I think like Moreno's a career three eleven hitter in the minor leagues. Like the hit tool is there; it's easily plus. Like I've seen him several times. He was in Double uh, A Toronto last year, so I think I saw him probably four or five times if I had to guess. And yeah, the context skills are there, but yeah, the power. Like where has it gone? Thirty six games this year, one hundred and fifty plate appearances, one home run. And there's 0. 0.080 ISO. So he's, hit, he's hitting 324. Great. But where's that power gone? Well, I said one home run. Uh, he had eight last year in 37 games between most of that was a double A. 32 games of that was a double A. So, yeah, I, I think he's maybe similar to Kirk, but take away a little bit of power. So I would go with Kirk as well. All right, let's go ahead and hit a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and get into a lot of prospects. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the MEAC action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back. All right, Chris, it's time for another rousing game of MLB Pickle. What player are we starting out with this game, Chris? You know, we talked about him, so let's just go Alejandro Kirk. Why not? Go Alejandro Kirk. All right, it is somebody in the AL East near 23 years old. It's, okay, a, left, it's a lefty near 23 years old <laughs> in the Bats, AL East. Do they bat Let's, and throw left? Yes. Okay, and okay, it's so it, either twenty-two or twenty-four. So you have twenty-two or twenty-four. Devers, oh no, Devers throws righty. It's probably a pitcher in the AL East. That's a lefty. Ooh, ooh let's go with the uh, best pitcher in the history of mankind, Shane McClanahan. Dude, mm. it's Shane McClanahan. Two tries. Two tries. Got it, uh, Mister Shane McClanahan. All right, that was the best one we've done yet. That's it. We're good, not going to do better than that. <laughs> no, and. The, not unless we guess it on the first on the try, first which one. will never never happen. It's like it's like right. in Wordle. Like you have that starting word for Wordle, but you're just waiting for that word to be the be the word. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna beat this. Shane McClanahan is our MLB pickle player of the day. Great selection, great selection. I love obviously McClanahan. Another dominant start today. Eight innings, nine Ks. Probably could have gone complete game if they let him go back. I think he's at ninety two pitches or something like that. God, he's so damn good. He's my my early pick for AL Cy Young Award winner, and he showed why today. All right, let's get over into some prospects here. Some promotions recently, more so in, in the minor league level. It's not up to the major leagues where we talked about Moreno, but Gabriel, oh my God, we already talked about him. Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg got promoted to AAA. And Westberg already had his first home run at the level, and sort of Henderson, actually. I think Henderson's first at bat at the level was a home run the other night. So more so let's talk about Henderson here, Chris, and let's loop Ezekiel Tovar in as well. I said I put a video up on our YouTube page about Tovar earlier today. It was a two-minute video. Are Henderson and Tovar top 10 prospects for you? Because right now, like I'll even give a little spoiler alert for the uh, listeners here. My, my update's coming out on Monday. I have Tovar up to ninth right now and Henderson at 14. I think there's a little more power speed in Tovar's profile, which is why I gave him the slight edge, but I have him top 10 because he's, I think he's plus hit plus speed and at least above average power. And he's going to get that nice little course field Babbitt boost. Uh, eventually he's a good, good defender can stick at shortstop as well. So I think all the ingredients are there for a top 10 guy, especially with how you looked at his performance. Even last year, I think he had 16 home runs, 24 steals last year. Now what he's doing this year in a pitcher-friendly league as a 20-year-old, one of the youngest guys in the league, he's just tearing it up. Had a nice opposite field home run that I got video of the other night. So I think he is top 10. Henderson just aside from me. But where do you have these two here in your rankings, Chris? Yeah, I think it's hard to argue against it. They're uh, flying up. They were both top 20 in my last update. But I think the legitimacy is there, especially with, I mean, honestly, both. I mean, Henderson now in AAA and obviously off to a hot start. But – I saw both Westberg and Gunner for a couple games last year, and they were both impressive, but Jordan Westberg was 
honestly the more impressive player that I saw. But, you know, Gunnar, I've always liked the skill set, and you've always kind of seen it kind of coming around, and now we're really seeing it in full force. I am curious how Gunnar goes about stealing. I don't. I think his speed could tail off long-term. I mean, he's a little bit bigger. He's listed at 6'2", 210. Could be a little bit bigger than that. So I, I wonder if he continues to steal. I don't know. I mean, still he's 20 in, in AAA and now been dominating all year with Tovar too. I mean, Tovar at least I, I feel more certain that he does continue to run. And maybe I am wrong on that, but uh, I think he will continue to steal long-term and the power with Tovar at least is very encouraging. So I think there's a fair argument for both being top 10 in Westberg, obviously not in that conversation, but I still think he's been solid. I think he's, you know, while the average doesn't really reflect it, I think that he has a solid plate approach and I think that he could hit for better average than he's shown. And, you know, this year we've kind of seen the power really develop a bit more. So that's been encouraging to watch this year with him. I'm intrigued by him a little bit as kind of an under the radar type prospect who I think is a borderline top 100 guy. Yeah, I think so too. I think I don't have him quite that high. I think he's more like the 150 range for me. But yeah, I think he's definitely a bit underrated. Like last year, he hit 285, 389, 479 with 15 home runs and 17 steals in 112 games. Not running that nearly as much this year, only three steals and three attempts. But yeah, I think he's like a 20 to 25 homer guy, adds in a handful of steals, you know, hits for a 260 know, ish average with a 350 or so OBP. So a guy that isn't going to be a guy you have as your starting shortstop or second base, wherever, they, wherever he ends up, or maybe not even a starting middle infielder, but I think he's definitely like a guy that can be, you know, a top 200 type of fantasy guy at peak just with the all run offensive skills that he has. So I definitely think he's definitely a bit underrated for sure. I definitely will agree with you there. Sticking in Baltimore, Grayson Rodriguez, though, some bad news coming out of Baltimore. Grayson Rodriguez has a, a lat ish. I think it was a lat pull, right? Chris yeah. lat strain. Yeah. And he's done probably done for the year. They say September, but, at that point, I don't see them rushing him back. The minor league season ends in like the second week of September, so don't really see them rushing him back. They'll probably just let him get some extra rest, come back strong next year in spring training. We, we are getting a lot of questions on him uh, on Twitter about what does it do for his long-term value. I'll answer it simply, not a damn thing. I, I'm still valuing him as highly as I did before the injury, so if someone, if you can get him for even 96 cents on the dollar, any type of discount right now, I would 100% go for it because I still think he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to be a top 10 fantasy arm for a long time. I think this is just a minor bump in the road. So yeah, go get Grayson Rodriguez if you can because I have not changed my ranking on him at all. Yeah, and, and the only way his value changed is if you were expecting him to contribute to your fantasy teams this year. But – even you know rookie struggle and it's possible that he would have come up and struggled. So I'm not like changing his value at all for dynasty. I mean, we're talking about a young arm who's been elite at every level. So I'm not changing his value a bit. We were actually talking. It could be a cool thing. We'll get, might get to see him in the Arizona fall league. If obviously if he doesn't get any innings this year, they may send him there just to get his innings. So that would be obviously a lot of fun to get to see him there. But yeah, that's kind of a side point, but I do. I think that he'll be fine long-term, and it does stink that we won't see him this year in the majors because I think he was certainly on that track to debut. But here we are, and it is what it is. So I'm not overly concerned.
Yeah, he's one of he's one of the best pitchers I've ever seen live. Like I said, I got to see him last year when I was down in, in Pennsylvania, went over to Harrisburg uh, for one of his starts, and yeah, he was like four above average to plus or better offerings, like th- at least three plus offerings. Good command, good control, has that workhorse frame. Where I think he's a big guy that also gives you the volume along with the great ratios and elite strikeouts. So. Yeah, I think he's going to be very good. So, yeah, if you can get him for any sort of discount, I would absolutely try to do that because he's going to be a stud. Absolute. No doubt about that. A couple other pr- uh, promotions here that we just want to note. Sedan and Rafaela finally getting the bump up to my neck of the woods, double A Portland. Saw him the other night. He didn't really do much, but I'll get some more live looks at him. Chris was hogging him down there for the first couple months of the season. So now I get him for the next few months. That's good because a lot of our pitching – the good pitching we had, like Brian Bayo and Walter, they've all gone up to AAA. So he did some offensive firepower here, and Rafaela definitely helps that. And Andrew Painter, who had been absolutely carving up low A, was due for a promotion. He's up to high A now. That's very good, good to see. I want to see him get challenged by some more advanced hitting here uh, in high A. And we have rookie leagues opening up here this week, Chris. A lot of a lot of fun names here. I wrote an article about this, like the 10 names I'm really looking at. You know, it was headlined by Christian Hernandez and, you know, Miguel Blaez and some Junior Marin. A lot of good names uh, in rookie ball here. And th- these are the times, like, Eddie Almaguer had a tweet where I, I, I'm i not going to say it exactly right, but this is the time of year where you look at your dynasty roster. So for a few guys that you can cut, because you always have to be quick to get on those pop-up guys. There's always some pop-up guys every year. There are relative unknowns that really start breaking out once rookie leagues get going. You get the complex levels, you get the DSL. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun time. It's, it's opening day 2.0, as I like to call it. But are there any any other names here, Chris, that you're keeping a particularly close eye on here in rookie ball? No, I mean, you mentioned a lot of the big names, but you're right. I would watch carefully with these players, and I know it's just it's been such a small sample. But look who's popping off and and really jump on them in the complex box. I mean, things can change quick. Just think about who we were just talking about, Sedane Rafaela. I mean – he was not roster. He was one percent roster on fan tracks, probably less than one percent actually. And he's every bit legitimate. If if you're not buying at this point to him, then then sorry, you're completely missing out. So <laughs> you you have to take in everything in stride and know what to value and what what not to value. But yes, things are going to happen quick. You need to be able to churn the back end of that roster and know even if it doesn't work out, you can just churn those players. So certainly you know, be on the lookout. I know it's harder to watch these type of games, get film on these type of games, but I'd, I'd be on the lookout right now. And, you know, one that's already kind of popping off a little bit is uh, Leonardo Balcazar yeah. with, the, with the Reds. I mean, he's been super hot in two games, nine plate appearances, six at-bats, four hits, um, four runs scored so far, a home run. So he's been really hot. I'd watch that name. He was kind of a guy that, you know, some people liked last year in he was in the international signing with them 17 years old so you know he performed in the dsl and was pretty solid power speed so i'd watch out for him he could really pop off so you know just be on the lookout and i think there's a lot of good names to watch yeah there's always a bunch of guys that pop up every year and then all of a sudden you're looking at them like hey they're top 100 guys or close to it and i could have had them for free so you gotta be you gotta be early you gotta be quick on these guys because People will realize you, know, you give it another, you wait another few weeks and they're going to be gone. So, yeah, definitely just keep an eye on some you know, rookie ball stats here, see who's popping off and 
churn and burn the back end of that roster. That's what it's all about. Especially the deeper you get, the more important that notion is. So moving back over here to some more some more well-known prospects, some top prospects, so to speak, that are really struggling so far. So we're gonna talk about, you know, what they're struggling with and you know what our long-term thoughts on on them is. We got six names on the list here. Khalil Watson, Jack Leiter, Luis Matos, Noelvi Marte, unfortunately, Tyler Soderstrom, and Orelvis Martinez. Let's start with Khalil Watson, who decided that he forgot how to, you know, actually play baseball, and he's just swinging at absolutely everything. Through his first 183 plate appearances in low A right now, he's got six home runs, nine steals. That's kind of nice, but 212, 257, 365 slash line. And a 43.2% strikeout rate. Chris, how worried are you about Khalil Watson? I know it's early, he's young, he's 19, but that is a incredibly lofty K rate, and we're now pushing 200 plate appearances with him. Yeah, I mean, the, the tools are there for him to obviously be a, a high-end prospect. We saw that earlier on in the year. But this obviously is one of the concerns, the swing and miss. And we're seeing that very loud and clear right now. But it's also important to look at the fact that he just turned 19. It's his first full season of pro ball. So there's going to be bumps. I mean, shoot, even still, he's at 365 slugging percentage right now. So there's a lot of discouraging signs. The upside, as I mentioned, still there. I don't know where to rank him right now. Like, is he a top 100 prospect? I think definitely. Is he top 75? I don't really know. I mean, it is discouraging to oh, – everything's really discouraging. And the fact that he's in low A against similar age competition, it's you know not what you want to see in this profile, especially from somebody that's supposed to be as electric as, as he is. And he is electric, but just put the bat on the ball, kid. <laughs> there you go. Put the bat on the ball, kid. Wise words from Mr. Chris Clegg. No, that's <laughs> absolutely the issue here. And that's, that's really the issue with a lot of the hitters on the list here. But, with, yeah, with Watson – I didn't see this coming. Like someone put it, I forget. Someone replied to a tweet of mine. I think it was on the tweet where I was kind of showcasing some bad strikeout rates among some notable names. And someone's replied back with something along the lines of if someone had told me Khalil Watson had, would have a strikeout rate more than 10% higher than Ellie de la Cruz right now. It could be someone said that before the season. They would, you would have looked at you like you were crazy, but because Watson was kind of thought of as a, a high contact guy that's just kind of gone by the wayside. He has nine walks to 79 strikeouts in 183 play appearances. So that's, this is not gonna, that's not gonna cut it obviously. So really needs to cut down on those K's. I still think that, you know, the power speed blend is still there. Like the bat speed is there. So I'm not jumping ship by any means. Like I just actually traded for him not too long ago. So I'm really hoping he can turn it around here, but yeah, 212, 257, 365 slash line. Contact rate is in the toilet as well. Still young, but yeah, definitely a lot of concerns when you see a guy start out like this. Like this is looking very Robert Poisson-esque from last year, which is not not good at all. So moving on to a couple other names that were, one was top 10, another one was close to it at the start of the year. We'll start with Luis Matos. I think he really just forgot how to play baseball. Like Luis Matos coming into the year was coming off a very, very good year where I had him ranked ahead of Luciano, and I don't think I was alone in that. Because look at what he did last year as a 20-year-old in high A. I'm sure that's this year. 19-year-old in low A last year. 313, 359, 
495 slash line, 35 doubles, 15 home runs, 21 steals, uh, and the very low strikeout rate. This year, 149, 260, 149. So when your slug is the same as your average, that means you have zero extra base hits. And it's not even 19 games, but I just don't know. And he's, he's coming back from injury. He's been rehabbing down on rookie ball the last couple of games. But very you know, discouraging start to the year for Matos here, Chris. I know it's, again, only 19 games, but what are your takeaways from him? Are, are you worried at all, or you think it's just too small of a sample size to get overly worried at this point? Um, I want to give him a little pass just based on the sample. Hopefully he jumps back in. He did begin a rehab assignment in the ACL, and so far it's been better. I mean, he has a home run and 429 average, just eight plate appearances. But still, I'm encouraged he has three hits and a home run. So we'll see. Hopefully he bounced back and fine. And I wonder if he was playing a little hurt to begin the year. So obviously we'll need to see him bounce back. And, and honestly, too, like he's just needs to go back and perform at high eggs. We saw him in low A last year dominate. We need to see it in high A and beyond. So I'm willing to give him a pass right now. I wonder if he was playing hurt, as I mentioned, but we'll see. The, it, time will tell, especially when he gets back on the field in in high A, hopefully. Yeah, I think that might be uh, – that at least has to factor in a little bit there. So he's, he was showing so many good tools last year, like plus hit, plus speed. Power was really blossoming. But I thought he could be, you know, a six – hit six speed you know and at least a above average power type where that's very similar to some of the tool grades i put on robert hassel who's my number two guy right now behind corbin carroll so i thought this could be the year where matos could break into the top five by this point in the year but uh, so definitely by low opportunity here i think that he's definitely better than this i think we'll see him really get back to what we saw last year because the, the tools are there i'm very much a believer and what we saw last year, and even the year before that, he hit 362 in 2019 with seven home runs and 20 steals in 55 games. So, really, this is the first time he's ever struggled, and it's only 19 games. So, yeah, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass as well. Novi Marte, it, it, he hasn't been terrible this year, but it's been very meh, very lackluster showing as a 20 year old in high A right now. 241, 332, 374 slash line. Five home runs, five steals, 10.3% walk rate. That's still pretty solid. K rate's up a little bit to 25.6%. Do you think maybe we all just went a little overboard on Marte and he's just a good but not elite prospect? What do you, what do you think, Chris? I think that's probably the case. I mean, it's it's. I hate to say that, but again, he, I don't want to think that, but I do. I mean... I think we're still looking at a good profile. I think he does some things well. I think the hit tool maybe just not be up to the standard that we thought, and that's kind of affecting him now. So still not striking out a ton, as you mentioned. I mean, 25.6% is not great, but it's fine. But you look in the past, and I think that that increased K rate as he's kind of moved up a bit is kind of just a little bit concerning. So he's still been like above average at the level, you know, 109 WRC plus, but you know, he's getting older. He's getting closer to 20. He'll turn 21 at the end of the season and he's still in high. So at this point, like you really want to see something from him encouraging. I mean, I think the power is definitely there. The game power and the raw power is there despite him only hitting five home runs so far this year. It's, it's certainly there in my opinion. 
I don't know what kind of speed he has long term. I mean, this is a body that could really just you know, he could definitely get bigger. And I think he has. So I'm a bit intrigued to see what he can do like rest of season, but I haven't been overly encouraged, at least from what I've seen so far. Yeah, and you've, I've heard some rumblings that the body has gotten bigger this year and, and not bigger in a good way, bigger in a bad way. And you know, he's always a guy that you look at his stats last year, you know, 17 home runs, 24 steals, where I was like, all right, I know there's more power in that profile, and he's still running a good amount, which is very encouraging. So it showed the desire to run, even though the success rate wasn't the greatest. It wasn't terrible either. But So I was like, all right. More power on the way. Maybe he's a 25, 30 homer guy with 15 steals and a solid act, 270-ish average. But yeah, now I'm wondering, is he more 250, 260? How is he going to look you know, on the bases in a couple of years? A lot of questions there. So I, I still, um, I'm still a big Novi guy. I think he's a buy low right now because I think there's you know greener pastures on the horizon, so to speak. He's still, I, I have dropped him though. He's around 20 overall for me now. He was number five overall last update, but I had to drop him down because this is definitely concerning. And it's maybe that pumped him a little too high last year. I'm fully, I think I'm fully admitting that, but still think he's pretty damn good, but just maybe not the elite prospect that we thought he kind of was. Moving over to, or staying on the in the West Coast in the AL West organization, going down to the Oakland Athletics, Tyler Soderstrom. Unfortunately, he's starting to look like, follow the, the path of many hitting prospects before him, which is not a good thing when it comes to Oakland Athletics hitting prospects in terms of, yeah, he's still showing power. He's at 10 home runs and 198 plate appearances, has a 229 ISO, but the approach just has not gone the way we'd hope it would. 6.6% walk rate, 29.3% K rate, only hitting 219 with a 273 on base. Given Oakland's recent track record with these guys, like, you know, Lazar Monteros, Austin Beck, you know, those are just two examples. There's many more the guys that really flounder because of the approach. Does that make you a, a bit worried about Soderstrom that he's kind of following that path, Chris? No, I think he's, I mean, yes, a little bit, but also like in his own mind, like he's a good hitter, but I was a bit concerned last year. I didn't go as high as most. Like I think he got into my top 40 range, but you know, a lot went higher on him. I was concerned the amount of ground balls he hits for one paired with the strikeouts. Somehow he managed to hit 306 last year, despite a near 48% ground ball rate. And the 24% K rate's respectable, at least. But another one who's a little bit older, who's, you know, he'll be 21 later this year. But in high A, yes, there's power, but also, you know, how much of the power is viable? I think he's average to above average game power. But I just really wonder about the hit tool. Is it not as good as advertised? And that's really my concern. The lack of line drives, I think, is more concerning. That's been lower. It's really a lot of just ground balls or fly balls when he's not striking out. It just doesn't bode well for batting average, in my opinion. Last year, he ran a 373 Babbitt. That wasn't sustainable with the type of speed he has and the type of batted ball profile. And this year, it's kind of the polar opposite at 259. So I do think that trends upward. But again, even if that trends closer to 290, which is may fit his profile a little more, like what is he, a 240 to 250 hitter? Now, I'm not saying that's the case with him. They're still The jury's still out, but yes, I, I am a bit concerned, honestly, about his profile in general. And where does he fit in the field either? Like That's right. also a, a certain factor that we have to think about as well. 
I mean, this year he's played more first base than catcher. Like, what kind of value is he at first base? I don't know. For fantasy, I don't really know. Yeah. That's the thing. Obviously, they just got Shea Langoliers, which I think really signals that his future is not behind the plate. Langoliers is definitely the much better all-around catcher, and he's performing well offensively this year to go along with his elite defensive skills. So, yeah, I think that signals that Soderstrom's future is probably at first base. And, yeah, you said it very well. Like, how does he look there? Obviously, the profile is a lot sexier behind the plate than at first base. So, that's another thing that definitely factors in. But I still like him. I think he's definitely going to turn it around. But... I would be lying if I said I wasn't at least a bit concerned just because of Oakland's track record developing hitting prospects over the last handful of years and how poorly that's gone. So a little bit concerned there for sure. Last hitter on the list, which is actually a pretty similar profile right now to Tyler Soderstrom, that's Arovis Martinez here. Guy that's hitting for a lot of power this year, but you know, the average is very low. Let's see, in 184 plate appearances, 214, 283, 506 slash lines. That's a 292 ISO. He has 14 home runs. That's great, but very similar to Soderstrom, 6% walk rate and a 28.8% strikeout rate. I've seen Aurelvis a couple times now. He's very, very aggressive, and I wonder if he's just selling off power at this point. He's got good power. He's always been a plus raw power guy, and I think that the in-game power is really kind of starting to catch up to the raw power, and he's kind of bulking up a bit over the last couple of years. He's still only 20 years old in double-A, so let me, let me note that. But I've always wondered where the hit tool is. I think 50 hit is best-case scenario for Aurelvis. They said the quality of contact is very good. Like You see the ISO, the slugging, 14 home runs, and 184 plate appearances is very good. But is he ever going to be more than a 240 to 250 guy? And where does he fit in in Toronto? Obviously, they got... You know, the infield is very loaded there, so I don't know where he fits in. So he's a guy that I've been kind of caught, you know, tempered my rankings with him. He's kind of stuck in that 50 to 70 range where others have gone a bit higher, but I just don't know where the hit tool is. Doesn't He doesn't run a lot, so he really needs a hit tool to be there to have value. But right now, I just don't know where it is. I think he's just too aggressive from what I've seen. But what, what are your thoughts on him, Chris? I found it interesting. I saw a tweet this morning, actually, that someone said he was a top five overall prospect. And uh-huh. I, so, so then, yeah, so then I was like, crap, what am I missing? So I went to his profile. I'm like, did I just totally miss that? Like, he's been, like, scorching or something? And, you know, to my surprise, like, he's not. He's hitting, I mean, power, yes, but, like, the power's kind of always been expected, per se. Like, we kind of right. expected this to happen. But I just wonder, like, you know, how – valuable is this profile just another power hitter that honestly strikes out a little bit too much and what kind of average does he actually produce i think he's you know below average hit tool i think he hits way too many fly balls like ground balls aren't his issue he just right. hits way too many fly balls and obviously you're going to get power with that but you're also going to get a lot of outs so we're looking at a low bad average type profile in my opinion and i mean yeah he may be a touch young for double a but still, I like the power. I don't really like the rest of it, to be honest. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I say he's too aggressive. I think he's, and I think you mentioned the fly ball rate. I think that's another kind of notion, a hint that he's selling out for power too much. Like he just wants to crank the ball as far as he can. And yeah, that's resulting in an uptick in home runs this year. But K rate's up, walk rate's not great either. It's below average. Contact rate is 68.4%. That's not great. So, yeah, I think he's going to be, you know, like a, a 
poor man's uh, Nolan Gorman. I think similar power, but even less average than Gorman, similar strikeout rates and less uh, less walk rate. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good time to sell. Like I think if you, you can still get a top 50 value for him in Dynasty Leagues, I'd probably look to sell him right now. Use, the, use those 14 home runs. That's your leverage right there. All right, last name on the list. The only pitcher we have here, but I had this just not performed well at all. Granted, he's starting out in double A. This is his debut, but as a you know, a polished collegiate arm that's not out of the ordinary. But Jack Leiter has just absolutely stunk. There's no other way to say it in double uh, A Frisco this year. He's made uh, nine starts and came out of the bullpen one game, 39.2 innings, 5.90 ERA, and a 1.44 whip in those 39 and two thirds innings. He's still checking out guys at a 27.2% rate, which is pretty solid, but the walk rate is over 10%, or 10.6%, and he's just giving up way too many runs, 26 turn runs in 39 two-thirds innings. He's getting hit way too hard. I don't know. Leiter was a, a, should have been the can't-miss guy. He was the can't-miss guy of this draft, like the, the polished collegiate arm, the high floor with the high ceiling as well. Expectations were through the roof with Jack Leiter, but this is not a great start. Are you just kind of chalking this up to an adjustment period, Chris, or do you think he's another guy that maybe got overvalued a, a little bit too much during draft season last year? No, you know, his stuff is so good still, and I think it's just the inconsistencies, which, you know, is still an issue in itself, but you look at his starts, and the majority of them have been pretty good, but, you know, his last start, he was tagged for seven earned runs in five innings. And then May 20th, it was honestly a two-start stretch there. He, May 14th, it was one and two-thirds with six earned runs. And then May 20th, it was three and two-thirds with seven earned runs. So those brutal starts really inflated the numbers. But then his last start was you know bad as well. The strikeouts have been there. The walks have unfortunately also been there, which, yeah, I kind of expected a little bit. Like, you can get away with some more swing and miss in college, even though he pitched at, like, the highest college level in the SEC. You know, overall, like, still getting plenty of swings and misses. I, maybe the walk rate trends down a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit below 10%, but he could probably live in that range. But he's just really been affected by a couple bad starts, and I think that he's just got to be more consistent because when you don't have it, like, you might can get away with it in college, but he's not getting away with it in double A. I mean, these are really solid guys obviously his pro debut like it speaks a lot when they put you in double a to debut we know he didn't pitch last year i still think his stuff is is good like he has you know four above average pitches at least in my opinion the fastball when he's locating it up in the zone and with the velo is certainly plus or better but he's just got to be more consistent with it he's not going to get away with his off starts like we've seen so the inconsistencies are a big deal but hopefully he works through it now, what I'm wondering though, like we said, the, like I said the walk rates above 10% again. That was the same thing it was last year at Vanderbilt. In 18 right. starts last year, he had 45 walks in 430 batters face, which is 10.5%. And for his career, it was 10.7% because he had eight walks against uh, 60 batters face in 2020 during the shortened season. I just wonder if maybe we overlook that a bit too much just because oh look at the era it's 2.13 and the the k rate was quick math 41.6 yeah. percent and you mentioned the stuff is 
absolutely there. Like stuff is loud, the four pitch mix there, but maybe we looked at all that and kind of didn't focus enough on that walk, right? What, what, what do you think? Possibly so. I mean, I think you definitely could be right. And somewhat concerning, I still think he's got the stuff to definitely be a, a top 100 fantasy prospect, but you know, I mean, those are certainly things we need to take account for and things to get better with in the future. So, you know, I am a little bit concerned, but who knows? I mean, he could bounce back, and I hope he will. I, I think he's more than capable of bouncing back. So, yeah, we'll certainly see. Now, where, where do you have him in terms of uh, pitching prospects here? Because I think he's definitely behind. Like, I have a clear-cut top five right now of Grayson Rodriguez, Shane Boz, Daniel Espino, George Kirby, and Yuri Perez. I still have Max Meyer ahead of him, even though Meyer wasn't looking too great the last few starts. But I think Meyer's ahead of him. And then he's just like, I think he's down into this massive, like the tier two cluster where it's like Gavin Williams and Randy Contreras, Brayon Bayo, Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, Bobby Miller, guys like that. Where, where, where do you think, where does he stack up for you in terms of pitching prospects right now, Chris? Yeah, that's the definite range. I think you have those kind of clear cut top guys. And then he, so that means he falls in with a 50 to 75 overall range, which he was like top 40 for me to begin the year, which obviously was a little high. With some adjustments, I think he could move back to be a top 50 guy. But, I mean, so right now you think, like, who would you rather have, like him or Brayon Bayo? And so I look at that and where I have them ranked, and I'd probably rather have Bayo at this point. I'd rather have Painter or Jack Leiter. And I want to say Andrew Painter at this point. So it is kind of making me push him down even more, which is you know interesting. Yeah, you got, you got to think because Bayo is showing very well. Yeah, he's almost a year older than Leiter, but – He's up at AAA now, performing very well last couple of years. Then they like Miller's kind of been inconsistent this year. Abel's still finding his footing. So I'd still have him over Abel and Miller. But yeah, Bayo's looking like Painter, like we mentioned, has been absolutely dominant. Now, another name, who would you rather have, uh, Leiter or Rowanzi Contreras? Probably Contreras. Yeah, I think so too. What about Gavin Williams or Jack Leiter? That's where it probably gets close. Um, yeah. It's probably a coin flip, but I think Leiter probably has the more upside. So I still like both a lot, though. Yeah, these are all guys, yeah, in my 55 to 75 range, my rankings. Another, another name kind of near that group is uh, Taj Bradley. You know, Jackson Job could get up there, too. But, yeah, I think he's fallen from being closer to the back end of Tier 1 to right in the thick of Tier 2. But I think still a good buying opportunity. I think he's better than this, and I agree. I think he can definitely get back up in there because the, the tools are loud, but – I think that that walk rate is concerning to me, that's for sure. But that is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? 